I love Jersey Girl. I know it's not originally one of his songs, but I love that song. And I was I'm like, everyone was saying, oh, maybe in New Jersey, maybe in New Jersey. And then my son, who's, who came with me, he's a me- big music fan, a really serious musician. Although, again, not someone, he's not into Bruce, but he, he just enjoys the music. I watch his fingers are moving as they're playing in a way that I don't even yeah. get at all. But my son, I was thinking, I'm like, oh. Wonder what they're gonna play, and he just pops up up the list, and he's like, "Here's what they've been playing," and bam, the rest of the night, and I was fine. It was great. Mm-hmm. And then also, I heard that fourth night, that Sunday night, he did, he totally broke it open, and then he did Jersey Girl to close out, and I'm like, "Oh man!" I because I'd say I've been at, I've only been at four shows, and that was, this was my fourth show, and I've always wanted to hear Jersey Girl live, and then when, when I found out, I just missed it. That was a little tough. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is uh, my new friend, Pesach. I butchered his name 15 times before we've hit record. He has shown me incredible grace and said, that's close enough, Jesse. So welcome to the podcast, my friend. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself. Gosh. So I live in New Jersey with my wife and eight kids. I'm a rabbi. I'm an Orthodox rabbi. I'm not a congregational rabbi. I actually teach in a Jewish school in New York. I I mean, I teach Jewish texts, the Talmud and Jewish thought, things like that. And, and of course, I'm also a Bruce fan. And yeah, I guess. That's a pretty good elevator pitch. As someone who is we talked a little bit before I hit record. I grew up in Louisiana. We moved to Texas in 84. My dad was in the army. We moved around a lot, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist home, converted to Catholicism when I started dating my wife. And I'm currently in a weird relationship with our deity. But the the everything I've learned about the Jewish faith got on the day the rabbi stayed home series of books <laughs> late 70s i'm picking up them paperbacks loving the mysteries so i, I figure i'm i've got an i've got a master's degree right at least <laughs> yeah is why not a congregation why do you just do you not want to take care of a flock or you're more interested in the academic so a little different, actually. Partially, I just, I always liked working with kids. In other words, I, and I nobody growing up, including myself, thought that I was rabbinic material. I was not a good student. I was not particularly, my family was orthodox, but I was, I did it because I, that's what I was supposed to do, but I was not particularly into it. I was very interested in, I, I was a camp counselor and various things like that. I like working with kids. And originally, I was actually, I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to work with with children. And I fell into my first teaching job and absolutely loved it. And I I did think, and only at that point, once I fell into teaching, did I, okay, I'm not even a rabbi yet. I better study some more so I have what, you know, what to teach. And over the years, I I did think a little bit about taking on a congregation, but 
Honestly, I, I just find that kids are more open to, to growth and to, and again, I don't mean to stereotype, but I feel like a lot of times by the time we become adults, we're, or, although your story, I think, says otherwise, and the truth is my story says otherwise, I think a lot of times adults are very set in their ways. They just plug into what they're doing and they hit cruise control. And to me, again, let's say I'm interested in this sort of the, the relationship and thinking about what it means to to be a believer and what it is to to in such a complicated world. And I just, to me, that's thing I've, I've just always loved working with kids. And although I toyed at different times with maybe trying out a congregation, this is just my passion. Okay. Talk about growing up. Sounds like you were, did you discover Bruce at summer camp? That's funny. I, I'm trying to think. I let's. So I'm 52 years old, born okay. in 71. So I missed all the good stuff of the 70s. I'm pretty sure. Again, I have this older brother, and who's a very big Bruce fan. Maybe we'll mention him later. I, I think so. A lot of my music, I think, came through him. I remember Billy Joel. I remember AC/DC. Felt really subversive for an Orthodox kid to be listening to some of those songs. And I don't know, but again, I don't know whether my brother got me into Bruce or, but I, but Born in the USA, that was my album. That was the first one that I was around for. And I, that, that's what really got me into it. Pesach, a lot of, a lot of fans are snobby about Born in the USA. And I often say it was a gateway album for so many fans. And you've got to give the credit and it's absolutely okay to move on to love other albums and like other things, but you have to keep, give credit for that, that it, a lot of people would never have found Bruce without that release. Right. Yeah. Like the, the truth is that's the interesting thing. I'm, I'm a little insecure around Bruce fans because that's the thing. Like I've been to this summer was my fourth concert. When you have people yeah. who are like, this week is my, this is my fourth concert this week, but it's my yeah. 380. And I, and I know the, and I know all the words and I have, and I'm just going, please don't, exactly. I, I like him a lot, but I'm not, that's the thing. Like some of the Bruce nuts, I'm just like, wow. I'm just like, you talk about being like a student in a classroom, like sitting by an expert. I'm here. I'm the, I'm the novice. Relative novice, yeah. Yeah, but I think that, in fact, when I ask the question in every podcast, I, hey, the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. Because if you were born at the right age in the Northeast, you could have seen him hundreds of times just in the 70s, right? Because all the tours and everything – but there's other fans that have never seen him because of where they live or because of their age. And they're just as as wonderful fans. So yeah, I, I think I think there is I, I try to push against that stereotype because and I usually tell this to my guest, I don't like Jungle Land. <laughs> it is not, it is a song that I I clinically understand that. The sax solo is beautiful, the music, and I realize it's this epic, but it doesn't speak to me emotionally versus some other song would. And, oh, they just, oh, what? I'd say that to let my guests know that there's nothing shocking you can say that that is worse than me saying, Jungle Land, eh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The reason I asked about summer camp is 
I've been doing this for a while, not to brag, but just that's the reality. I've been doing this since 2015, and I've seen themes. You've already placed one of them. A sibling will either help you discover your musical tastes or their enjoyment of music actually treats you the other way. Your older brother or older sibling was into classic rock, so you became a fan of grunge or this counter. But often that sibling influenced you. And the other, there is a good chance if you grew up in the Northeast, there is a higher percentage that you either heard about Bruce from a counselor at a summer camp or from a roommate at a summer camp. That is a story I hear often. That makes a lot of sense because the truth is I don't I don't recall a Bruce connection in camp. I love I went to camp as a kid. I loved it. And I definitely there's definitely music. I would come to camp and kids would be playing it. And and again, even though the Beatles were long before my time, I think I really discovered the Beatles at camp. And yeah, it's definitely a place where whoever, you know, in those days, whoever had the whoever owned the boom box and whatever they were into became that yeah. the whole poem got into that music. Were your parents fans of music? I know you mentioned your older brother, but were your parents? So it's funny, they like music, but not at all. I was not to them, it was loud noise. They were like my mom liked, I think, Nat King Cole, and my dad liked Frank Sinatra a little bit. Like when I was a kid, he would occasionally, he would, my dad would sing to us before we went to sleep. He'd a little bit sing like the slower Billy Joel songs or some Beatles songs or things like Mm -hmm. that. But for the most part, they were, they were born in the mid or late 30s, respectively, and they missed the whole rock and roll era. But it was really, my brother was the one who really had to open that up for me. So I want to go back. You mentioned you had no thought of becoming a rabbi. What did you want to be when you grew up? Or did you always know you liked teaching? So that's the thing. So I, I bounced all over the place. I really was. There, there are yeah. certain people who just, you ask them, and I always knew I yeah. was going to be a rabbi or a doctor. I was all over the place. I was, I, of course, as a kid, I think I wanted to be a baseball player, which my Little League experience made very clear <laughs> that was not my path in life. Yeah. Um, well, I, who I, was your team? The Red Sox. Okay. Yeah, I got into a little trouble in the Spring Nuts group. I, I had a very nice post about my son who attended this most recent concert with me. Yeah. And I wrote about the fact that although we, we raise our children Orthodox, my son is no longer religiously observant. And I, and I I said, it's even worse. He's a Yankees fan. The people <laughs> like the post, but some of the people were like, oh, it's so beautiful about your son, but go Yankees. So I was yeah. like, really like pushing some buttons there. But uh, yeah, big Red Sox fan. In fact, one of the to- one of the four times I saw Bruce was at Fenway Park, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, so that that's really cool. But yeah, so let's see, baseball player. I, I got very into stock. My mom once borrowed a hundred dollars from me, and when she paid it back, I I think she offered me that I could buy stock with it instead, and I bought seven shares of Sony, which ultimately, with all sorts of splitting and whatever, became worth three thousand dollars. And so for a while, I was going to be a stockbroker. I, I think when I was a kid, that was when the Wall Street movie with who was it, Michael Douglas? I think yeah, came out. greed is good. And so it's pretty funny because that's not much of my message these days. Greed is good, but I was yeah. like. I wanted to be this really wealthy stockbroker. I think I bought one other stock the rest of my life. I mean, that didn't go either. And again, like that's a little bit, I got, I was very interested in psychology. Ultimately, I majored in psychology in college. And then I just, again, I was, but I was never, it's interesting. Like I'm so into books now and I'm so into learning and all sorts of things, not just within Judaism, history and music and sports. 
arts and really all over the place. But I was not a great student. That thing, I just didn't have, I had no work habits. That's when parents always tell me, how do I get my child more motivated? I say, if I had any idea, I wouldn't have done it myself. Yeah. I I relate to the kids who are not. I, I think part of the reason I didn't become a psychologist, is I just wasn't really ready to buckle down and get a master's or something like that. So I just, just fell into teaching. It was not, again, my, my mom actually was a teacher. But there was nothing about it growing up where I thought I was going to follow in her footsteps. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And one of the things that in a Protestant religion is there's a calling you're called to the priesthood, you're called to be a minister. And in, in a, based on, like I said, my heavy studying of Judaism and fiction, my master's class, I was going to wait a little bit and talk about later, but I've had Todd Goldberg on the phone, the podcast twice, and he's written a series, four books in a trilogy where a mob hitman moves to Las Vegas and pretends to be a rabbi to hide. (laughs) And yeah, and I will send you a link to the book. And to start out with, in the first book, because he knows nothing, 
he keeps using Springsteen lyrics. <laughs> As in, <laughs> the Talmud would say, it's a poor that's man that's living in his own skin who doesn't brilliant. like the company. And every once in a while, someone would call him. So anyway, with you, it was more you as you got older without realizing it you found this thirst for knowledge and this thirst for teaching correct yeah yeah absolutely now that's the thing i just i was living we also you mentioned you lived in a bunch of different places so i always say i gave my children the unstable childhood that i never had i grew up in the same house until i got married as a teacher i was i was always i was taking these different teaching jobs in different communities trying to increase what i was getting paid different things and sure so we, we started out in Cincinnati. Again, my wife and I, before we had kids, we were living in Cincinnati. I was working with a Jewish youth group in a synagogue, and I just that I needed to supplement my income. And so I started teaching in Dayton, which is about 50 miles north of Cincinnati, and where, again, like if you live in a small enough community in America, in Jewish day school, you don't need to be a rabbi, but pretty much like a little Hebrew, they consider you sold, hired. So exactly. So that's the thing. So I, at the beginning, that's thing I discovered I loved the kids. I had a great time with the kids trying to, again, get kids who are into whatever they're into, music and sports, and I was trying to get them to show them that, that, that the Torah can be interesting to them. But again, it was, it was just, I fell into it. And then I was like, whoa, I like this. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, and once I did it, you speak about a calling, right? That if you ask me today, it's, I, I feel like I was put here to do this. It's something, it really has become something I'm just incredibly passionate about. Yeah. One of the things we talked about before we hit record is you did go to a couple of shows. I do want to ask you, what were your thoughts about the static set list controversy? Uh, so that was tough. That was actually really, it's funny. That was really tough. So I don't, I don't think it would have bothered me that much if he hadn't in the fourth Jersey show totally broken it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, you know. And if you tell me this is what everybody's getting, if you go to the restaurant and there's one thing on the menu, and so yeah, okay, I, I can enjoy it. But all of a sudden, you find out that if you go to that, if you sit at that table over there and then the restaurant, there's a totally better menu. So that really killed me because I happened to, I don't know when I fell in love with it, but Jersey Girl, I don't know if, again, I don't know what like the real, you know, the serious fans would say about this. Yeah. I love Jersey Girl. I know it's not originally one of his songs, but I love that song. And I was, I'm like, everyone was saying, oh, maybe in New Jersey, maybe in New Jersey. And then my son, who's who came with me, he's a me big music music fan of really serious musician although again not someone he's not into bruce but he, he just enjoys the music i watch his fingers are moving as they're playing in a way that i don't even yeah. get at all but my son i was thinking i'm like oh i wonder what they're gonna play and he just pops up up the list and he's like here's what they've been playing and bam the rest of the night and i was fine it was great and then also I heard that fourth night that sunday night he did he totally broke it open and then he did jersey girl to close out and i'm like Oh man, I, I, because that's thing. I've been at, I've only been at four shows, and that was, this was my fourth show. And I've always wanted to hear Jersey Girl live. And then when, when I found out, I just missed it. That was a little tough. One of the things that just to share, Pesach, is that is where the name of the podcast came from. Is the idea, and because I get asked sometimes, set lusting? Do you have sexual fantasies about Bruce? And I'm like, no. I said. Historically, he changes his set list up fair amount, and people post the set list on social media, and people follow, and when you see that he is playing a song that you've never heard live or rarely have heard live, you stop set listing and you start set lusting. I can't believe I'm not there. So I know that feeling, not to rub salt in the wound, but... I've only heard Jersey Girl once. It was the 
back in the end of the river tour. It was at Met and it was the second of three nights. And that was the night <clears throat> he went four hours. The couple got engaged during Jersey Girl. And it was it. I'm always someone who wants more. One more song, one more encore, Bruce, just one more. And that was the first night it hit four. The couple got engaged. He did Jersey Girls. The fireworks went off. And I looked at my son, and that was only his second show. And I said, I'm sated. <laughs> this asking for something more this night would just be greedy. I, I am I've done. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And there are certain songs, for example. And now then people will mock me. Barry Manilow didn't write I Write the Songs. Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys did. But that is as a Barry Manilow song as possible. I have a wonderful friend here in Dallas or Texas. She lives in Austin now. She recorded We Are Each Other's Angels, which is an absolutely beautiful song. And I think Sarah Hickman, it, it is as good a Sarah Hickman song possible. She didn't write it. Chuck Prosky did. Jersey Girl is almost a perfect Bruce Springsteen song, whether you wrote it or not. At least right. that's my hot song opinion. Right. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. We've, I, thanks for joining me. And we've had a little bit of fun. And we're going to get back to music in a minute, guys. But we're recording this on October 12th, 2023. I may rush this one and put it out next week. I, I usually have about a month delay when I edit, but we got some crap going down in the world, don't we? Oh, and yeah. if we could get serious for a moment, share with me how you're feeling and how your family is feeling. So, so as I mentioned to you beforehand, it's, again, it's an interesting convergence right now because it touches both on family and it does touch on Bruce. I mentioned already my older brother, his name is Eric. He lives in Israel. And again, in so much, we shared a room growing up. We had the, my parents had this small house. My sister had her own room and my brother and I, we had a bunk bed and really close. So much of who, my, who I am is because of him. And he lives in Israel now. And he actually, again, again, yes, music, no music, but it's all wrapped together. Yeah. Um, he actually came in this summer. He has two children who are getting married. And one of the, he actually came in with his son and I, his son, Avi Noam. And they, Eric's been to a bunch of shows, one with me, or I went to one with him, but his son had never been. And this was going to be their big thing. His son is engaged. This was supposed to be. And they were at that Philly show. They had gotten, literally, I think they were like number 44 and 45 or something like that. They were going to be on the rails that night. They were so excited. And then it got canceled. And again, like unlike other people who could say, okay, I'll get them in a month. I'll get them in a week. I'll get them next tour. They live 6,000 miles away. And I know like in the Spring Nuts group and at the stadium that day, there were a lot of people who met them who really came to really care about their story. All of a sudden, here we are. They're living in Israel. There's a, my, my brother's daughter is getting married on Sunday. And all of a sudden, and some of my family, my wife and my two girls were supposed to be there. It was being my youngest daughter's first time in Israel. And all of a sudden on our holiday, Saturday and Sunday, we start hearing this trickle of news. And 
Holy cow. And it's, it's again, this, it's funny, people joke a lot about that Orthodox Jews, like this time of year, you've got holiday after holiday. So this was, this is with tabernacles, what we call Sukkot, or Sukkot, depending on how you pronounce it. And it's a very joyous time. And then the last days, as they called Simchat Torah, the joy of the Torah, the joy of the, the, the teachings or something. And it's a day where they're dancing and they're singing. And it's, and all of a sudden we start getting this news of this terrible massacre and we didn't again and, and that's in orthodox jews we don't use electricity we don't turn on if it's on we can use it so if the light's on it stays on but can't turn on or off a radio or a, a radio i'm showing how old i am but yeah, yeah. i can't use my phone we, we were getting a lot of information we didn't know what was true and what was not and then like the second the holiday was over for everyone it was just like turn on your phone and it was like oh my god and the details are still coming out just absolutely horrifying and so I was thinking, I've got this brother there, I've got, I've got him and his family, I've got a lot of friends there. And again, you talk about music, and there was this massacre at this concert. People, again, it was a peace concert. It was people at this rave. Again, it's not my kind of music, it's not my scene at all, but they said it was like one of these all-night things, and people are drinking, and they're waking up, and that sort of, they start hearing explosions, and it was literally, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. It was, and, and I, I actually found out later on that a one of the people who died that day was this boy who I knew, the last time I saw he was four years old he was my my i have a married daughter at the time she was five they were childhood friends and he was at the concert and he actually came out now that he was a medic and he was running for his life and then they saw people get injured and he turned back to help and was killed and it's so it's deeply personal you know you know again both that i have family there i have friends there it's just it's wow it's it's a it's a heavy time it's a sad time it's a scary time it's just but there's a lot going on for us right now yeah, in fact, one of the things you and I talked about is you originally, we had scheduled this to discuss, and then you're like, I don't know if I can make it, what we can do, and so I'm glad you were able to join me, and we talk about it, but I, I'm to bring it back to Bruce, I'm thinking of that into the fire, that up the stairs into the fire, they that your your daughter's friend went what many people would say is the wrong way. You run toward the mayhem. You run toward the danger because you're trying to help someone, right? Yeah, that always astounds me. I have to admit, I always say, I'm, I'm chicken. I'm yeah. like... I would say I would have been one of those guys, the people who like shot themselves before D-Day so that they didn't have to go to the... I don't know, yeah. I'm not... <laughs> I'm really so that that always fascinates me, right? Whether it's the, with the World Trade Center or yeah. or you're in a moment like this, right? Someone who just they're I don't know if again I don't know if it's an instinct, if it's a just a, a sense that caring for what they're for someone else is so important that they exactly everyone is running in one direction and you stop and say no no, no I'm going to be one of the helpers. I'm I'm astounded by that. It really just it inspires me. It blows me away. I, obviously, no one knows what they're going to do in a moment like that. But I, I I think I would just be running. And I may end up cutting this out if this is too awkward, Pesach. But last earlier this year during Pride Month, I invited as many people that wanted to be in that were gay or lesbian, non-binary. And I asked the question, why are people so angry at you? And some of them had interesting discussions. A lot of them talked about fear. And I'm going to sound like a cliche, but this is true. One of my best friends is Sam I worked with years in fact he's my string string buddy and 
he grew up in Vermont and he's Jewish, or as he says, Jewish, right? <laughs> and he said, that's not my joke. That's another comedian's joke. And we, he's made me laugh that when his father remarried, he had two stepbrothers and they would celebrate Christmas. And I could just see Surly Sam they're singing Christmas carols and Surly Sam just hating this. And we were at lunch once and I said, I don't want to get too serious, but why are you guys hated so much? And and he laughed and he joked and he shared a few thoughts. But I do mean this. I don't understand the hate. I don't understand the hate in a lot of this world, but I don't understand this blind hatred and so if you want to get serious for a minute, or if not, I'll cut all this crap out. <laughs> no, nah, I'm, I'm good with it. We can go. Okay. So what do you think? So gosh, this is really, in so many ways, this has been a really hard week for me. Because again, I tend to be a person who really tries to see all different sides of things and everything in, in, in politics. And the only thing that I'm really doctrinaire on is being against the Yankees. That's that. Well, I have no, which... So I did, before you get serious, I was going to ask, are you most disappointed with your son that he's no longer religious, he doesn't like Bruce, or that he's a Yankees fan? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the Yankees fan. Not, not even the other two you can live with. That's fine. Right, right, Go, right. Yankees, really? So go right, ahead. Get yeah, I, but, that's, but I, I try very much to be a person who of nuance and there's different sides of things. And I, I look, I mean, I actually did live in Israel myself for two years. My two oldest boys were actually born there. I visited there quite a bit. And it's it's a very complex situation in terms of the Jewish people who have this 3,000 plus year relationship with the land and the Palestinian people who, again, you know, I wouldn't even presume to touch what how long their relationship yeah. is. That's, that's a loaded question. And I'm not even sure. I'm, I'm, but whatever it is, there's two people who have a real connection to this land. And again, we could play the game of who's bet. Yeah. To me, I just I understand it's complex, exactly. you know, and, and 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 that led to the fact that even though I'm profoundly Zionist, I, I profoundly believe that this connection, I would argue very strongly goes back all the way to Abraham and the Bible. I'm not one of these people who just says, and therefore we're right and they're wrong. I know people like that. I do. But again, I had I have a certain sympathy for again a person who just people want self-determination people want to live there's a line in the talmud that a person would rather have one portion of their own rather than nine portions from someone else that's a, one of the most basic things is we want to be in control of our lives we, and, and i totally get that and therefore again i had i struggled with exactly how do we do this and can there be peace and all these kind of things and i don't know i'm, I'm even scared to say anything like this week just that's, if they had broken the wall of Gaza and they had gone to an army base and just decimated the place, I, I think every one of us would have been very pained by it. But it would have been what you do in a war. Soldiers in fight. a war, yes. And, and that's the thing. But again, but that's the thing. The fact that it was a music festival and again, babies burned a lot and the elderly and just... I, I don't know what to do with that. In other words, again, I, I can, I know that thing again, I, I tend to be pretty conservative politically and but this whole thing about colonialism. And again, I, I understand. And quite honestly, I do understand when a people says that there's some country who doesn't belong here at all. And they, I don't think that even matches up here. Again, this is a people with a 3,000 year con connection. This is not some empire that all of a sudden just conquered a random land. But even if you want to play that, again, fight the soldiers, try to kick them out. But 
this was just every line of decency. Again, soldier, you have a gun, I have a gun. Okay, that's unfortunately that's what the world has. But but literally taking babies hostage, it's just to me again like that's saying that it becomes very hard and i don't again i don't know what what i don't know if i'm ever going to be able to have even like a nuanced opinion after this this is just barbaric and so over the the line again it's interesting because in israel there's a massive there's from one end to the other there's one, there are those who will say the land is entirely ours and we should kick them out and there are people who will say we don't have a right to this at all and, and we should have it should be a pure democracy and whoever wins wins and everything can go but I, I think this week, the people on the far left who would have, who were, who did give back Gaza, who would say that, who, who were not religious in, in, at all, so there's no theocracy, who, you know, university students and teachers who would say, who would buy into a lot of the progressive narrative, all of a sudden this week, it was just like, how do you justify this anymore? How do you, again, we're, even someone who wants to look at two sides this week, just people in my community are saying like, I don't know, were there two sides during the Holocaust? It's just, again, yeah. like you know, 40 dead babies, 40, you know, babies with, with their heads cut off. Just, Where's the nuance in that? And 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 that's and that becomes even more like there are people who are you know still trying to say oh but colonialism and I'm like whoa if if your definition of colonial if you're against rape until it happens you know to to an Israeli woman that thing is you know like you know they have these slut walks where women it's not her fault if she gets raped she can wear whatever she wants and all of a sudden like, this week it comes out like the one thing she can't wear is being Israeli then you deserve to be yeah. raped something. like that thing it's just like any sense of any logic of coherence of something I, I don't know again like that's it's people have been comparing it to 9-11 if you talk about proportionately and then they're saying no it's it's much more than that and the people comparing it to Pearl Harbor I think people are pointing out it's the most number of Jews who have died in a day since the Holocaust it's just we're, we're really as a community um just struggling to just make sense of something that just you know is, is really just beyond being you can't make sense of it yeah you know what I, I like how you mentioned that. And I'm wondering, are you teaching right now? Yes. And are your students asking you? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing, because I, I teach middle school, and middle school is like a fascinating age. Right. You know, I, I used to hate teaching middle school. I used to mainly teach high school kids, and I always said high school kids can handle sophistication, elementary school kids are cute, and middle school kids are neither. And what I discovered in eight years ago, I, I took my current job, which I just absolutely love, and I, I really, middle school kids, again, they're not as sophisticated as high school kids and certainly people who are older, but they're in this interesting sort of stage where they're definitely able to think about things on a pretty serious level. And that's right. what I've been trying to work through with them is that thing as an adult, again, like there are many of us who are just, we're doom scrolling. We're just like literally going through our yeah. Facebook feed and hearing about another person who died and another, and and again, and then you walk in there and the kids are like, oh, your fantasy football team did amazing. Or, and and yeah. there's a party that wants to say, oh, my, how could you be thinking about such things? But they're kids. And so yeah. a, a big part of my week this week has been like trying to help them think about what's the right way for you to experience this. It can't be as heavy for you as it is as, as adults, even the adults. And I would never watch any of these videos that, that are coming out of, you know, of, of, of what happened. These these atrocious things that happened. But even if the people who would, you you don't show it to a thirteen year old. So yeah. again, you know, so there and 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 so that's why I've been trying to help them figure out how do they experience it in a way that's age appropriate. That doesn't mean ignoring it the way little kids would. Little you know, if kids are young enough, you don't even discuss these things at all. 
and they're not adults. And so that's been a big part of trying to give them, help them find that space for how do I experience this as, let's say, an eighth grader. And the other point is, when is it the right time to do a silly podcast talking about Bruce Springsteen and how much you loved Born in the USA? But at the same time, maybe it is the right time that maybe we do need to find our joy when we find while at the same time being aware of what's going on. And that's, yeah, that's really profound. I'll tell you, because that's what happened. Like I, I, I made the, my original like Facebook post that led to us ma- meeting and you yeah. offering me to be on here tonight. Like I made it and I was excited and everything. Like, and then I totally forgot about it. Right. And all I'm sitting there today and I get, I, I think you emailed me and um, yeah. all of a sudden I'm you know, like, holy crud now like it just I, I i knew it was there was some point in the future where i was going to hear about this and yeah at the, you know when we set this up october was just another month in the school yeah, year exactly and, and then all of a sudden i was just like now I'm right. and then all of a sudden yeah that's exactly it it's a really profound thing you're saying is you, you can't live in pain all the time in other words like that's even like one of the things i was talking to my students about is that when a person loses an immediate relative from the orthodox perspective there there's a very there, you start off with this very intense morning, and then they sort you are required to pull out of it because if you because otherwise you could sink into your morning and you'll never require you'll never recover. And how do you again like that thing in the moments when I'm not teaching, in the moments when I'm not talking about Bruce, there's been crying and there's been a lot of pain. But again, if so, what are you going to do? You're going to live in that pain now forever. You're going to just be done with music. Yeah. You're going to and and so that's the thing. At first, it caught me, and then it honestly, this feels very cathartic. Both the ability, the fact that you're giving me the ability to talk about happy things, and that I'm pulling it in over here. This is the crazy complexity of life: is that it, it has horrible pain and joy and sometimes they're hours or minutes apart this is sad yet i after the fact like bruce one day we'll look at this and it'll all be funny and i'm not this circumstance is not but in this back in 99 my wife's father died unexpectedly he had uh he was in his 70s and he was working for the United Way part-time as a gig to help supplement his income for retirement. And he went home for lunch, told his wife, I'm tired. I'm really looking forward to the weekend. And he passed out and died there at work after he went back from lunch. And so we go through the funeral and everything, and we're trying to be there for the family and, and, I'm trying to be there for my wife. And it's a new normal after you lose a relative, as you talked about. It's never the same, but it becomes a new normal. So I'm at my job, and my job is, at the time, and still is, I run a call center. Okay. I have all these people who are calling out sick. They're not following processes. And I have this anger. My father-in-law died at his desk working and you bums can't even do a process right and i obviously did not say that but i did go home and told my wife that i was feeling that anger and it made her laugh and she says i absolutely agree you can't tell people that but i think ray which was her father's name i think ray would be happy that you're feeling that way and I think I I give that advice to anyone who has lost a 
a parent especially, it will never be normal, but there'll just be a new normal. And I love that idea. You can't dwell in your sadness because that's not healthy for you or the memory of your loved one. Yeah, yeah, I think it's actually really interesting. One of the things I find really interesting within within Orthodox Judaism is there's the law and the rules, and there's quite a bit. But and then there's the way it ends up getting lived out. And one of the things I remember both my parents. So that's the thing. Like basically, the rabbis who set up the whole process of mourning really they want the beginning to be this very intense period where you're in your sadness and people are coming to support you, and you're just when you feel like it, you're just telling your story and your who is your father and what was he like. And they're really it's not supposed to be a break from it. It's supposed to be like, okay, you're going to dive in now and then gradually you're going to pull out. But what happens, I I said, it's, it's, there's a great party going on, but only the guest of honor isn't there. Because another yeah. basically what happens is again, like anyone who's you're getting people who come to visit you. Some you maybe haven't seen them since I haven't seen them since I don't know my bar mitzvah, or my wedding, and yeah. people who I really haven't seen them at the same time. And again, and according to Jewish law, I'm supposed to sit there and tell me about your father. How old was he? Was he sick? What? And just like, I just want to hang out with my friend. And I'm saying, and then you catch yourself, and then you feel a little guilty. You're like, whoa, we're like, I'm telling you, it's, it, it is like a wedding. Only as I said, like the guest of honors just not there and it's this interesting thing and you go back and forth one again and sometimes you try, you manage to really hold on to that serious time and then someone shows up and it's oh my god i haven't seen you in ages how you doing man and it's and it and i think it really just shows the sort of the, the profundity of life and the complexity of life and that again like that thing you, you even at that time where, where i think it is healthy to express it it's funny. That's the thing. I'll give you another example. There was um, a rally here in New York at the UN the other day in support of Israel. And and again, it was in this place called, I, I'm, I'm probably butchering how to pronounce this, Dog Hammerschel Plaza. Yeah, yeah, he must have been some, I think he was some European official. I don't know who it's named for. But when I was a kid growing up, so that was in the middle of, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, that was the Soviet Jewry. Basically, Russia, communist Russia was not allowing Jews to practice their religion and to leave the refuseniks. And we used to, once a year, we would go and we would like start off on the Upper East Side and, and march down, I think, first or second Avenue to Dog Commercial Plaza, and there would be all these speakers. And, and I'll tell you, the, the, the real truth is, as a kid, I, I don't know that I really was thinking a lot about these refuse this, these Russian refuseniks. What I was thinking about was like you mentioned camp before. I love camp, but I only saw my friends during the summer, my camp friends. But if you went to if you went to this rally that Sunday, everyone who was Jewish was there. So I'd walk around and see my friends. Everyone else is let it, let them go now. Sharansky and I'm like, hey, Ari, Joel, how you doing, man? <laughs> And so, so when we had this rally this week, here we are back in Dog Hubbardshall Plaza. I haven't been there probably close to 40 years. And there were a lot of people there who, there's my friend, there's another teacher, there's the school where I used to work. And it turned really, again, I, I had thought it was going to be this really, really heavy thing. And, you know, and the speeches were all, you know, as what you would imagine the speeches would be and some of the singing and so. But when we were seeing each other, there was, you know, there was this like cathartic, release of joy of joking around of and again as you said even like joking you know you know you can only do with certain people but you even make certain jokes about the the situation because again but at a certain point not that there's really any levity in it but at a certain a certain point again it's just like i've heard that people who are involved in work in cemeteries they make jokes about death all the time otherwise you sit in death it will just completely overwhelm you and so yeah that's it's a crazy thing it's just when i first that's it when i first saw this i'm like i cannot be on tonight and then all of a sudden i'm, I'm telling you i'm finding myself here and even like the, i'm having like the time of my life it's- i'm so glad so here's my two stories one i can't tell you how often 
at a funeral for a relative, someone I'm close to, and I will see cousins I've not seen in years. And we, after the service, we go back to someone's house for a wake, gathering, reception, whatever you want to call it, right? And we're going, this is a damn shame that it takes someone dying for us to get together. Yeah. And then, and, and we all, yeah, we're going to do it. And we don't, right? Your rally story, my grandparents, along with like two other families, maybe three, bought a part of a parcel of land in Louisiana and it's a family cemetery. These three, four families own it. And so twice a year, there was the graveyard working and we would all get up on a Saturday and we would drive to the graveyard and, and you would spend just like a few minutes. Oh, there's great. I I never knew grandpa, great grandpa, uncle Ursula or anyone, but we did that. And then all the kids would just play outside the cemetery and everyone brought food like a traditional church potluck. And those were some of my happiest memories as a kid. You got to see all your cousins. You got to eat good food. Everyone's laughing and joking. And they did do a, a meeting. Okay. We have to, oh, I think we need to repair this fence or whatever. And as an adult, I've attended and there's a little more business. But as a kid, it was just a joyous excuse to see my cousins and to play outside and just just have fun. And it was in this weird situation. And so I loved hearing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's good. I do think that as we're exploring this and the the situation in Israel and the, actually the situation politically in a lot of places, Bruce's letter to you means a lot to me, bringing it back to Bruce. And my, my brother died in February, right before I saw Bruce in Houston. And I'll see you in my dreams really spoke to me. Any thoughts on letter to you or in, are, is there music you're using right now to help you cope and to help maybe heal. That's interesting. I, I, I live in New Jersey. I live in very close to MetLife. The great thing about going to concerts at MetLife or everyone else, you pull out and then you have this long drive. I'm home in 10 minutes. It's really right there. But I work in the city on the Upper East Side, which is, I'm in New Jersey on the West Side of Manhattan. And so I have a solid hour drive to and from work. It's funny. I always say, like, when I lived in Cincinnati, I, I had an hour drive to Dayton, but that was, it was 55 miles and 55 minutes. In right. New York, in New York, it's five miles and 55 minutes. Like, I, I don't live that far away from my work, but just with New York City traffic. So I'm in my car on a good day, two hours. And I tend to listen to, to more to podcasts or just like religious teachings and things like that. Sometimes a little more heavy if I'm in the right frame of mar- mind. At the end of the day, when I'm tired out, it tends to be a little lighter. But the other day, I don't know if it was maybe yesterday or two days ago, I was driving and I, I came very close to turning on music. And I generally, that's thing in my car, I don't listen to music yeah. much. But I think, again, like, I I think there is something, music is healing. Music is, I would imagine right now in Israel, I would imagine that there's probably for the kids, again, especially probably with the concert, I imagine that there will be songs that come out of this. I think that that's the thing, like, it's, 
When we talked about should we talk about Israel, should we not? That's music is very often political, very in, yeah. in so many ways. And again, because it's all part of the human experience, and just again, it's a way of it's it, it's a different kind of thing than discussions. It's a di- it touches a different part of you. But it's interesting. I so I haven't again the music hasn't really entered at least for me yet. It's still this is just okay. very fresh. But yeah, no, absolutely. They're just, yeah, they're, they're songs. Like one of the things that fascinates me as someone who, who still maintains like a pop interest in psychology is they talk about that the music that we listen to gets encoded in our brain along with the mood that we're in when we hear it. They say that's why we love the songs of our youth. Because yeah, if I learned a, the song that I learned in camp with my friends, I don't even remember who sang it. There was a song, Electric Avenue. I'm going to... Yeah. I don't know that I would have. I'm not sure that it's the greatest song ever. I don't know. Again, oh, was it Sly and the Family Stone, maybe, or something? It's a Eddie camp Grant. Song. Eddie Grant. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's, I it's, had to look it up, by the okay, way. Okay, good. good that's a camp song. And so I don't know. Is it good music and not good music? Doesn't matter. Like in my brain, that is like happy time. I love camp and I listen to that song in camp. And the same kind of thing. There was a time in my, what we, I mentioned I've lived a lot of different places. I lived in Los Angeles and that was actually a really tough time for me. I had some mental health struggles and you can't tell by looking at me now, but I, for a while I was a really serious marathon runner and yeah. I used to go and I living in LA and I'm having this terrible time at work and I'm struggling with depression. And I used to go on these like 18 mile runs on Sunday and listen to flogging Molly. It's people are always a little surprised that I Orthodox rabbis into Irish punk music, but I, I do like that. And and in fact, the one, and when I saw Bruce in, in, in Boston with my brother at Fenway, what's it called? The, the lead singer from Drock kick murphy's was there pulling yeah. it all together. But I used to listen to this one flogging Molly album while I was running and like to yeah. this day, I, I can no longer listen to their music because again, yeah. because it was so associated with my depression of that year that like this. Yeah. It, it, and so that's the thing. It's an interesting thing how music creates moods, but also reinforces moods. And I, I guess that's a really interesting thing, just as probably depending on when I've heard different songs, what yeah. they would mean for me. Yeah, I, I absolutely. So a uh, couple of final questions. Any chance that you can send good thoughts to my Texas Rangers as we go against the uh, Houston Astros? First of all, wow. So all you had, it's funny. They always say that, uh, I always say, there's two teams I'm rooting for, the Red Sox and whoever the Yankees are playing. But now with the Astros, I I don't think I'll ever stop seeing them as that team that cheated all those years ago. So that's an easy one. So I don't, you know, again, I don't know. I've gotten some nice blessings from rabbis from rabbis in my life, but they've been like really big, holy people. I'm just, a guy, but but I don't know, for whatever it's worth, go Rangers. Thank you very much. Any final thoughts before we get to the Mary question? Any final thoughts? No, again, like I really, let's say I really appreciate this again. It really just ties so much together. Again, I'll just tell you like one more story with my brother. Growing growing up, I went to a lot of concerts. I saw Billy Joel a bunch of times, U2, Foreigner Journey. I think my first concert was Chicago. I saw a lot of concerts. I never got to see Bruce as a kid. I was always dying to see Bruce as a kid. And again, New York. So I don't even, but just, I I don't know if it was the money or just, I, I never got to see him. I was always dying. And so finally, I don't know, this must be probably about 20 years ago. I'm probably in my late 20s, early 30s. I was living, I think at the time, in Baltimore. Pretty sure this is in Baltimore. Again, I tell you, I've moved around a lot of places. But I, um, Bruce was going to be playing at the Garden. I And my brother, this was before he, yeah, this was before he moved to Israel. So it must have been close to 30 years ago. And my brother and I, we decided we're going to go see Bruce. We're going to go into Manhattan. We're going to we're gonna scalp tickets. And we're going to go see Bruce finally. And again, I was a teacher at the time. And I was like making like 12 cents. And I, I think I had $50 left in the bank. And my wife said, go ahead, take it out. You'll scalp tickets for $50. Funny, now $50 doesn't get you anything. Yeah. But- 
whatever that was 20 years ago that still could. And we're, I remember we took the train in from my parents' house in Queens and really excited. And we get there and these guys are scalping tickets outside. And I'm really, really impressed with my negotiating skills. I talked them down from 50 to 45 and I'm feeling great. And we go and we go and we're walking in and the guy scans the tickets and he says, I'm sorry, these aren't real tickets. And just like the, the gut punch of, you know, again, it was like my last $50 and with my brother and like now we had to turn around to go home and it was just, it was terrible. It was real. It was just absolutely awful. And that's thing. It wasn't the, the first time I got to see him. Actually, it was at the the Wrecking Ball tour. It was like the last the last yeah. set of concerts at the Meadowlands before they tore it down. And then, and my brother still hadn't gone. And then he came to America, and he took me to the show at Fenway Park. Okay. And that was just such a again. I obviously he's on my mind. He's someone who's very important to me, and what's going on in Israel, and just again, and he's the one who came in with his son. And it just it's, it's such an interesting thing that again. We're talking about Bruce, and we're talking about Israel, and we're talking about music, and we're talking about emotions and religion. And then yet, I feel in the end, it's part of the beauty and the complexity of this, that being a human being was created, as the Bible tells us, in the image of God, is that we have so much, we're, we have so many different parts of who we are, and ultimately it's part of this oneness of who we are. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher who's now retired, but when he was teaching... He would give his high school students in his honors English class the lyrics to Thunder Road, and okay. they would treat it as if it was a poem, and he would go through the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery Bruce uses. They would talk about the themes. They would compare it to other, like Robert Frost and other poets, and then he would ask his students at the end of the class, does Mary get in the car? <laughs> My friend. Not does the dress wave or wave. Does Mary get in the car? Pesach. That's oh your question. God. Does Mary get in the car? You know, I don't know. Like, we've been talking about a lot of dark stuff tonight, but it's funny. It's my dad was this guy who grew up in the Bronx. His father died when he was young. My dad was like a lot of like my sense of humor and my dark sense of humor comes from my dad. My mom was this just like eternal optimist. And sometimes I think like my mind is this like battle between the two of them, like who's going to win out. But I think at the end of the day, I think that I think there have been times in my life where I had that more of like my dad's focus. And I would have told you she doesn't get in the car. But I right now, despite everything that's going on in the world and everything that's going on in Israel and everything's going on with my family and everything like that. I, I got to believe she gets in the car. I love that. That is a well said, sir. I will tell you, every time I do this podcast, I feel like it's a blessing. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. And I especially felt tonight was definitely a blessing to me. I needed the talk. And I hope this was good for you, my friend. No, this is fantastic. And first of all, you're great at what you do. I really, I've been on, I've generally been on Jewish podcasts before, but I've been on before and sometimes just, you're a very genuine person and it comes across and in, in the questions and the comments. And it's, I'm telling you, as much as when I got the email today, I panicked. I'm so thrilled that I decided to make it work tonight. It's just, it was really just the timing could not have been better and more helpful. So thank you so much. That makes me very happy. I love when in Spring Nuts or someone, I'll go, hey, you should be on. And someone will go, I was on there. You will have such a fun do this. So I appreciate that. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Uh, I, who knows? We'll find another excuse for you to be on, okay? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, think a good thought for the people that are experiencing this war. 
and let's, you know, do what you can to help. But for now, be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.